And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be in this uh, rotating, very mixed-up planet tonight called Planet Earth. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. And boy, are things going... My grandmother used to have a term. She used to call them going cattywampus. And if you don't know what that means, you might, uh, you might want to look it up. Um, we're having a bit of trouble uh, in the background, technically hooking up with uh, our guest tonight, Barbara Honiger. For some reason, Skype is acting up, and we've got backup phone numbers and, you know, all the usual good stuff. So I'm going to have to vamp. Gosh, I haven't vamped in a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm probably out of practice. So um, um, let, me, let me switch screens here so that I can see what's going on. Okay. Uh, that's okay. So while we're while we're vamping, <clears throat> I actually wanted to do some news items at the top. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Last night, uh, I unveiled something really extraordinary, and I've had some feedback today, not from certain people that I'm looking for, which are, you know, epidemiologists and immunologists and doctors and people who can explain. Because what I what I laid out last night. Uh, mainly toward the end of the show. And I'm going to reiterate now so that more of you can kind of tune in and, um, you know, kind of get in sync with what we're trying to figure out here. If you go to the other side of midnight.com, that's uh, our home home page, home website, click on tonight's banner, which is uh, the comparison of the Reagan and Trump years of the White House in crisis with that pink, luridly pink view of the White House. For October 11th, 2020, click on that. That will take you to the guest page for Barbara tonight, Barbara's guest page. And click on the fast links. Richard, that will take you in radio with pictures down to my first items. The first one is the European CDC. Uh, That's the Center for Disease Control. And I went into some of the reasons why we picked the European mode as opposed to the American CDC in Atlanta. If you click on that, that will take you to a website which shows you possible statistic on the um, uh, coronavirus that you could possibly imagine. And um, it's it's basically, uh, I may have to do a little scrolling. There we are. It's, uh, it's about a quarter of the way down the page. You will see a graph which is titled, What is the Daily Number of Confirmed Deaths? And it's an interactive graph. If you put your cursor, probably have to do this on a computer. I don't know how it works on the phone. But if you put your cursor over the graph and move it back and forth, left and right, it will give you the date, May 11th, June 5th, July 8th. And under it, it will say world. And that is the number of daily deaths reported for that day from COVID-19. And what you'll notice immediately, and it kind of popped out at me, is that the graph is not a gently curved line. It's not a straight line. It's not a sinusoidal line. It's extraordinarily obvious, blatantly, blatantly obvious sawtooth curve. It goes up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And since this is a world report from 180-some countries all around the world of their daily death count due through all their various totally separate medical communities and establishments and morgues, etc., it is a basic snapshot when you move that cursor back and forth for any time between December 31, 2019 and tonight, October 11, 2020 of the number of COVID deaths all over the world. And by any science I know, by any medical knowledge that I kind of uh, absorbed 20 years with Robin, that curve is impossible because it's not a curve. It's a stunning, jagged, sawtooth up and down, reflecting an inordinate, impossible, absolutely inexplicable periodicity in deaths from COVID-19 all over planet Earth. 
Now, if you go back to uh, the uh, other side of midnight, the uh, guest page for Barbara, and scroll down to number two, what I've done in this is I've taken a snapshot of that curve. It's actually last night's snapshot. And I've uh, kind of printed it up a bit so you can see the number of deaths on the left, 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000. I mean, we are globally exceeding uh, 10,000 deaths per day. That was uh, uh, August, uh, August 12th, something like that. And right now we're certainly up to around 9,000, um, maybe 9,500 per day. And this up and down sawtooth curve varies by a factor of two in some cases and by a factor of three in other cases because you have some really extraordinary excursions. All of that is kind of what you'd expect. There's a lot of people dying due to this extraordinary disease. What's not expected is the sawtooth pattern. So go back to the uh, guest page on the other side of midnight. And what you want to do is you want to click on, uh, why can't I do that? Oh, there we are. Okay. You want to click on the next item, which is item number three. This is now an enlargement of the latter portion of the graph with color added. And what I've done is I've added, you know, to the world plot, which is the graph at the very top and the kind of beige color. I've added in green North America, that's Canada, uh, Mexico, and uh, United States, Brazil in the Southern Hemisphere in blue, and then at the very bottom in pink is Europe. And just to make sure, you'll, you'll look at these curves and notice how they're all mirroring to some extent each other. This is really amazing. I mean, this is just impossible. So now we go down to number three. I'm sorry, n n number four. This is an annotated version of that previous graph. And what I've done is I've drawn vertical lines over on the left. Remember, see July 20th. And the lines are connecting the bottoming out of the curves of each of these four uh, entities. The world as a whole, North America, Brazil, and Europe. And if you march to the right, July 20th, July 27th, August 3rd, August 10th, August 17th, August 24th, August 31st, the curves are matching, which means people all over the world on opposite sides of the planet by the thousands, which is why statistically we can believe this, they're all dying simultaneously and they have no physical connection i mean think about this you've got 180 plus countries you've got all kinds of different environmental conditions different governments different militaries different philosophical systems different medical infrastructure public health uh infrastructure doctors thousands and thousands and thousands of doctors and thousands and thousands of patients and simultaneously, their deaths are rising and falling all over the planet Earth simultaneously by a factor of two or three. And then it bottoms out and a lot fewer people die. And then later, seven days later, the curve peaks and then it falls and then it peaks and then it falls with very few exceptions uh, for instance, the last entry on this graph of September 17th, you'll see that for the entire world, which is the addition of all the deaths reported to the European CDC for that date. But if you look at North America, it's a valley. And if you look at uh, Europe, it's a valley. And Brazil, it's descending rapidly, but the valley comes uh, a couple days later. Now, these excursions from the periodicity, from the pattern, I believe, and of course, we'll have to have some science to confirm this, are due to local conditions. So the, the top graph is the one we're really focused on because that's the average of everybody 
reported to have died from COVID-19 all over the world from every reporting country. And so we're basically averaging hundreds of countries, 180 some countries and thousands, up to 10,000 deaths per day at the peaks just a couple of weeks ago. This is, again, I reiterate, this is impossible. There is no possible way that you could communicate from one hospital to another. There's no uh, environmental poison, toxin, whatever, that would be influencing the entire planet simultaneously. There's no electromagnetic effect that could be communicating simultaneously because, for one thing, you've got something like 3,000 thunderstorms occurring all over the Earth, which generate a lot of radio noise, just static, just white noise static. And some of that static is trapped between the Earth's surface and the ionosphere, producing what is called the Schumann Resonance, which is determined by two or three very simple physical parameters, starting with the speed of light, the size of the Earth, the size of the cavity between the Earth and the ionosphere, and the reflectivity of the ionosphere at any moment in time, producing the radio mirror. That trapping of the random noise from the thunderstorms produces what's called the Schumann resonance. It's like, a, it's like an echo in a closed echo chamber, and it resonates at around eight <clears throat> or maybe eight and a half cycles per second. There is nothing in the natural environment that modulates, that fluctuates with metronome precision. And then when it gets out of sync, it resynchronizes itself for the next several weeks and months with such extraordinary precision at a rate which is exactly seven times the rotational period of this planet, of Earth, relative to the sun. That, I think, is a major clue. Bottom line, let me scroll back here to the, uh, to the guest page. I think what we have tripped over is an extraordinary um, side effect of all these governments pitching in, pooling their medical resources, their public health uh, infrastructure, and contributing to common databases like the European CDC, COVID deaths all over the planet. Now, I picked the death chart because that's kind of binary. Either you're alive or you're dead, unless you're Schrodinger's cat. So this is really, really a kind of finality report. You can't get deader than dead. So it's very hard. Now, now there have been critics of the whole COVID-19 uh, uh, situation who are calling it a scamdemic, a plandemic. It's all a you know, not-so-secret plot, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and what they're claiming is that other deaths are added in to basically uh, masquerade under the COVID-19 signature, but in fact, they're lumping in a whole bunch of other people. We had some of this discussion with uh, uh, John Francis last night. And, 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 and the real horrible part of the claim is they're doing it for money, that somehow thousands of doctors and medical departments and public health services around the world are all in this giant planetary conspiracy to basically fake the COVID-19 pandemic and attribute to other causes, other morbidities, a word that we're becoming much too familiar with, um, people dying of, you know, heart disease and uh, diabetes and stroke and you know, cancer and whatever, and they're lumping them all in under, under COVID-19. Let's for a moment just say, and I don't believe this for a microsecond, but let's for a moment say that that gigantic, enormous planetary conspiracy involving thousands, if not tens of thousands of medical workers all over the world, which is what you would have to have to make this work, is true. I mean, I, I, I kind of recoil even, even uttering the words, but let's assume for a moment it's true. Now, obviously, nothing's 100%. So let's just say that 50%, I'll be incredibly generous, let's say 50% of the deaths being attributed to COVID-19 all over the world 
are in fact misassignations from all kinds of other mortality um, uh, causes. And so those, left, those deaths are being mislabeled. What remains is extraordinary stubborn fact. Remember, I think it was uh, John Adams who said facts are stubborn things. The fact is, this cannot account for the rhythmic pattern, the seven-day rigorous solar day pattern of this COVID-19 death count per day. Because presumably, if someone was faking this, this graph, they would add the number of deaths randomly when they got around to it or when their bureaucracy allowed for it, et cetera, or when they tallied the you know, last week's statistics, et cetera, et cetera. And then you would expect that that random injection of, let's say, 50% of the deaths being misattributed would basically be background noise, which means that the pattern would be submerged in a sea of randomness and you would no longer see this perfectly precise pattern. But we do, which means either all these different diverse medical departments and morgues and doctors and hospitals, which are tallying the daily horrible count, you know, over 215,000 people have died from COVID-19 in the United States alone. All these people have to be part of a conspiracy where they not only are faking the deaths, meaning they're adding in death from other causes, but they also know how to do it in perfect synchronization. I mean, look, the last time we saw an effort to organize hundreds of thousands of people to make something extraordinary happen was the Apollo missions to the moon. I mean, this would be a world-class NASA Apollo-level effort to lie to the populations of the world on something that's touching so many families in such a tragic way. And they would have to do it with foreknowledge that they could not add the numbers randomly. They would have to stay in synchronization. I don't believe it. Not for an instant. I mean, I believe in conspiracies. But you know the old joke, you know, uh, if, uh, you know, three people uh, are part of a conspiracy, the only way it's maintained is if two of them are dead. You could not maintain against all the legal, all the political, all the public pressure um, from all these citizens, billions of people all over the planet. You could not maintain this kind of a scam at this level and maintain this striking, stunning impossible periodicity. I'm going to be basically, you know, a, a, a one note band here for the next several weeks. I'm going to drill down on this and try to figure out what could be causing this because it's not just it's in synchronization with one spin of the earth relative to the sun. No, it's synchronized with seven spins of the earth relative to the sun. Now, looking at the solar system, as I have for a lot of years, as a hyper-dimensional construct where all these objects orbiting, spinning, whirling around each other in orbits, satellites, planets, comets, asteroids, whatever, it's a synchronized system creating a cacophony of torsion waves in the torsion field. Something in this system, something is marking time in precisely seven spins of planet Earth. Again, not relative to the stars, but relative to the sun, the biggest hyperdimensional torsion field generator in the center of the system. And when I saw this, and I spent a lot of time checking, including you know, opening doorways to things called circa septum rhythms that are found in ordinary medicine and it turns out with a little digging there's a whole bunch of human biological activity and other biological systems that for inexplicable reasons follow this seven solar day pattern up to and including the final act which is 
death itself. Now, the huge question, which as I said last night, whichever way this comes out, it's, it's a non-trivial discovery. Because either we're going to discover there's something extraordinarily unique about COVID-19, so it's causing people on opposite sides of the world to die simultaneously, not by the twos or threes or hundreds, but by the thousands synchronized. And then a week later, the pattern repeats. And then in between, you have a valley where a lot less people all over the world on that day are dying. And then the pattern begins again. Either that is unique to COVID-19. It's some aspect of this virus, which frankly, I think in, in some cases we're, we're kind of looking in the wrong direction because I've been saying for months now, it's not that it's killing people, which is horrible and tragic. And I'm saying that with uh, whole memories of having lost my Robin. It's that it's in synchronization so if it's not COVID-19, it's a stunning discovery. And if it is only COVID-19, it's an even more extraordinary, stunning discovery. There's nothing trivial about this tonight. And so again, I appeal to the epidemiologists and the virologists and the doctors who've been working with these patients now desperately at death's door themselves in many cases for months, for nine almost 10 months now, please contact us, send us ideas, do research on that CDC website out of Europe, look at the pattern, compare little countries, big countries, massive countries, first world countries, third world countries, and you'll find this pattern is repeating over and over and over again. And if it were not for COVID-19, Unless this is well known in the medical community and they just haven't gotten around to telling us when we the first time, this is something so profound, so fundamental, so seminal about life on earth for humans, for other animals, for other parts of the biosphere, for the ecosystem, all these ecosystems, all diverse ecosystems all over the world, in those ecosystems, people are dying in synchronization, and this should not. Okay, with that as a uh, foretaste, let me introduce my guest tonight. Uh, punch a couple of buttons here. Barbara, are you with us? And I do Hi, not... Richard. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, you're a little faint. You might want to get closer to that mic. Okay. All right. Let me give you a proper introduction. Barbara Honecker is a member of the Grand Jury Petition Drafting Committee, has served in the White House as a policy analyst and a special assistant to the President of the United States, has been director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice, and from 1995 to 2001 was senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, the premier science, technology, and national security affairs graduate research university of the Department of Defense. Barbara's a leading researcher, author, documentarian, and public speaker on the events of 9-11, and plays a key role in achieving the declassification and release of the 28 pages, which led to the passage of the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act that has enabled the lawsuits of thousands of 9-11 victims, family members, to finally move toward the courts. So we've got a couple of minutes here. Um, you had something very important you wanted to add tonight before we get to the first break on this whole coronavirus thing. Take it away. Well, right. Uh, can you can you still hear me, Richard? Because you were you were cutting in and out for me. Uh, you're loud and clear. Yeah, I uh, got closer to to the mic. Well, before I do that, and yes, I will. I think there are about five minutes left. I would like to give you an idea as to how we can explain this seven-day periodicity. Okay. Would you like to hear that? Absolutely. Well, it's, it's somewhat synchronistic because uh, given the amount of synchronicity in my life, you can appreciate that it's probably not all that surprising that I would have just uh, read this. But I recently read 
um, in an article that came across my, you know, my email from somewhere, God knows where. I get about 500 emails a day. But anyway, um, I recently read uh, an article or a claim um, that uh, you should never go into the hospital on the weekend uh, because there are more deaths because uh, the, um, uh, the higher level, higher skilled staff, uh, they, they usually have a five-day week. Um, and I would expect this to be true in many countries around the world, though not all countries. And if so, that could explain the peaks. I don't. No, 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 not, not, not. No. You know what? You know why? No, that's I don't. the first thing I looked for. That basically oh. we were seeing a, a, a compiling of statistics, and somebody was lazy and they only turned them in, you know, once a week, or as as you said, hospitals on the weekend have you know backup staff, not the prime guys, prime gals. So that, you know, the weekend is kind of dicey, although I must say I entered the hospital with my heart attack 22 years ago on the weekend and I'm here. So those people knew what they were doing, (laughs) but no, you can instantly eliminate that it's correlated with the week, the weekday, you know, seven days and then God rested for a day, that kind of thing, because it's, it's a moving uh, target synchronized with the rotation of the earth not with the artificial calendars. Because remember, all months are not equal. Some months are 31, some months are 30. There's one that's 28, except in four-year intervals, it comes out 29. In other words, the calendar is a moving target. This is like a metronome. This is like a tuned frequency. This is like a beat. And when it gets out of sync in one of those locales, it resets itself. Beep, beep, beep. Now, the utility of this and we're getting close on time here to the break. The utility, the first thing I thought of is, well, if doctors knew this, then they could apply therapeutics and other measures on the days when more people in this rhythm are going to die, and they might be able to blunt the curve. They might be able to head it off if they knew there was a period of danger coming up. You know, danger, Will Robinson. And then... Right, I understand the blinking red lights. Yeah, say. yeah, exactly. But it seems to be correlated to nothing of human invention, not even the week, although I'm now beginning to strongly suspect that the seven-day week is derivative from this underlying, overwhelming physical reality, and the ancients somehow preserved this. The connection has been lost, but the periodicity is preserved in seven days all going all the way back in the Western tradition to Genesis. I mean, this well, is not yeah, trivial you stuff. Well, want to get really biblical about it, Richard, well, uh, maybe this is the underlying reason that you're not supposed to do anything on the worst day oh, that could what be a, the peak. what a great idea. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Barbara, what a stunning idea. Hey, hold it there. My guest this morning is Barbara Honiger, special assistant to the president of the United States during the Reagan years. And we're going to talk a lot about the Reagan years tonight in comparison to the Trump years. And boy, are there some interesting comparisons. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts 
to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. side of the news can be heard here on this network, on this channel, on this website, on this URL, every Friday evening, two hours, seven to nine p.m. Pacific time. I warn you, you'll miss it at your own peril. back everyone to the other side of midnight have a little echo there we're going to get rid of that yes okay barbara i am so excited you had just an amazing idea that's why it's got to be the prescription in genesis you rest on that seventh day because that's the window of 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 peril that's the window of morbidity now we need funding we always need funding we need funding to do a real study, and obviously it's got to be the right institution, or no one's going to pay you know, any attention to this at all. But it's so seminal. If you get in the right sink, if you start the clock the right period, because this thing resets, and I haven't had time to go through and see whether it resets precisely back to the original period. That's, you know, when, when you're trying to do radio and do Mars and follow the politics and then do research like this, it's kind of hard, you know because we're not overly staffed here. But if we could get someone to take this up and look at it really seriously, who had global medical connections, political connections, got to be a a, a thousand doctors that would be stunned by this because the first practical fallout would be on certain days, you really, really need to do no harm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's in the Hippocratic Oath as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's a, that's an amazing insight. Of course, on the seventh day, you rest. You you don't do anything, and and the uh, Orthodox Jews are the most extreme on that. I mean, they're they're, they're not allowed to do anything. They're not <laughs> even allowed to ride a bicycle. That is just so, such a uh, see. This is why many minds are larger than the sum of the parts. Because I've been grappling this with this now for months. And I, the only thing, really, months, yeah. the only thing, months, yeah, literally, I discovered it long time ago, and I've been telling people I'm working on, I'm working on something, but I haven't said what because I did not believe myself that it was so obvious that nobody else would have seen this. I'm always very suspicious when I turn around and there's nobody behind me. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very lonely position. Yeah, uh, but that's what makes science and, and discovery exciting to be the first one to discover something. Yeah, but it's a lot of work because you got to prove it. You got to prove. I mean, this is so blatant. This is not like one sigma, or I mean, just look at that graph. 
We're yeah. seeing swings yeah. in a in a perfect seven spin cycle. It's seven spins of the planet relative to the sun. Now, many years ago when I was, you know, doing more space stuff than I get to do these days, when I was at JPL covering some of the uh, encounters of the Voyager spacecraft with the outer planets, I remember during the month we were flying through the Saturn system, a friend of mine, James Warwick, was in charge of one of the key radio experiments on the unmanned Voyager spacecraft. It was called the um, uh, Plasma Wave Detector. Or, no, I'm sorry. It was a planetary radio astronomy experiment. And, uh, I, you know, we were really good friends. So he showed me some data. And what was so weird is that Saturn, of all the planets, basically orbits the sun at an angle like the Earth, the so-called obliquity. The Earth is 23 yeah. and a half degrees. Saturn is about 25. But unlike the Earth or Jupiter or Uranus or Neptune, the interior magnetic field of Saturn is perfectly aligned with the spin axis, straight up and down. So it's mm. the perfect dipole. You know, you've seen these high school science kits where you have like a little bar magnet, <clears throat> and you can, you know, put it under a, under a, 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 a pan of iron filings, and you see this dipole shape of filings showing this great-looking slice of onion pattern. The so-called right. dipole field. Well, Saturn has this absolutely perfectly, and I've been suspicious as to why for a long time. What what this results in, however, is all the other planets when they rotate, because their rotation and the orientation of their mag field is not aligned. There's kind of like a marker, and every time the planet rotates once, that marker sends out relative to the sun a very loud radio signal which Warwick's instrument on Voyager could pick up. The Earth does it, Jupiter does it, Uranus does it, Neptune does it. What was so bizarre, and Jim and I talked about this at some length, is that even though the field is perfectly aligned with the spin of Saturn, they're, they're, they're absolutely aligned within a right. precision, which is you know like 0.001, that kind of thing. Saturn also emits a burst of radio energy every time the same longitude comes around and faces the sun. So the sun... Oh, interesting. Oh, it's incredibly interesting because it completely violates all their models for how these radio emissions are produced, which was supposed to be a misalignment between the, the field, the radiation belts trapped around the planet, and the uh, solar, solar wind. So Saturn is marking time in hyperdimensional space, regardless of the tilt of its field. And when I saw this pattern, the seven-day pattern, yeah. I thought, well, why isn't the Earth doing it? Like, why isn't this rise and fall of death rates every day? No, it's every seven days, which means mm -hmm. it's seven accumulated spins of the Earth relative to the sun, not to the stars, not to inertial space, relative to the sun, which is the biggest hyperdimensional generator, as I said a few minutes ago, in our local neighborhood. But why seven? And then I realized, oh, in three dimensions, if you're playing with dimensions, you know, higher dimensions down to third and second and one dimension, you, in, in, in one dimension, you have a point, okay? In two dimensions, you have a line. In three dimensions, you get a tetrahedron. It's the simplest geometric figure that emerges into 3D when you go up from a point to a line to a three-dimensional figure. And the tetrahedron emerging out of literal hyperspace has seven symmetrical ways to tetrahedron. Not six, not eight. Only seven. Hmm. And the seven is showing up, you know, seven deadly sins, seven days of the week. Uh, what was it? Dante, you know, the seven uh, levels of hell. Seven, seven, seven. Well, with the tetrahedron and its seven ways to spin, mm -hmm. is, is one of those seven unique relative to the others? Everyone is unique, yes. Seven unique ways. And I've had, I posted diagrams 
and when we get Kinsia back, she's off tonight doing something. No, I don't. I don't mean that each of them. I don't mean that. My question wasn't whether each of them was unique relative to all the others, but but relative to six of them, does one of them stand out as being especially different? No. Nope, nope, nope. Symmetry, symmetry, symmetry. There's no symmetry breaking here. But I have this intuitive feeling that somehow in three dimensions, seven spins of the Earth relative to the sun equate to one spin in some other dimension. Remember, all the dimensions are separate and cubes in 4D look nothing like cubes in 3D, that kind of thing. They're called hypercubes. So I'm and I've got to track down. And if there's a mathematician out there that can say to me, oh, yeah, look on page so and so of Coxeter. I just have this feeling that this is a synchronization between our three dimensional reality and a higher level reality. And it's marking the passage of time flowing at a different rate in this space versus higher state spaces. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need, the study and the funding and the institution and all that to pursue, because there's nothing trivial about this. Nothing. No, it's huge. It's truly huge. And I'll tell you, it, 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 if it holds up and it's that fundamental, it must be so fundamental that it even applies to God, because God rest, you know, created mm-hmm. the universe in six days and rested on the seventh mm-hmm. to avoid something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've been quoting my grandmother lately a lot, and she's the one that, you know, said many years ago, you know, you know, um, time is God's way of keeping everything from happening at it once. Happening at the same time. <laughs> and and my answer was, well, right now it looks like God's taking a vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ever since November, what was it, third or second or whatever? No, November ninth, actually, Trump. Uh, was elected, uh, got the uh, got the nod early in the morning on November 9th. No, well, yeah, but it was really November 8th was the election. But yeah, from November 9th onward, we have been undergoing an extraordinary hyperdimensional experiment. <laughs> really? No, no. It's it's like, you know, there used to be, I forget what comedy show where people would look at each other and something would happen. Maybe it was Abbott and Costello. And the other guy would say, who ordered this? And I've been thinking for four years, and there are going to be people out there who hate me. Oh, I got such hate mail last night for the mild things I said about President Donald Trump. Well, boys and well, girls. Wait, wait until you, what you get to I, yes, tonight. Yes, we're, we're going to get into some very deep territory <laughs> tonight. But, you know, look, my rule of thumb is believe nothing I read about Trump, nothing I see on television in terms of commentary. I've only followed his words, and 99% it's lies. And you can build a case on Donald Trump live, which is unique in American history, unique in terms of our, you know, valiant republic tonight, unique in terms of public response, unique in every way. And I can well feel like I was saying to uh, Georgia and and Laura last night that this is part of this. Everything's happening at once because a myriad number of hyperdimensional cycles applicable in three dimensions to celestial bodies orbiting spinning remember the the heart of hyperdimensional physics is rotation 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 well the discovery that seven rotations of this planet wind up killing three times more people than seven rotations later i mean this is just absolutely bonkers yeah it is um well uh we may have gone through the looking glass, I, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore. We, we have not been in Kansas, although I think we're going to pick up a number Democratic seat in the House in Kansas uh, this year. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, which, which, yeah, Dorothy would not so recognize maybe, Kansas. Maybe we could get back to uh, – I, I did want to segue from your opening, which is about the coronavirus, at least on its surface, the seven-day cycle, um, with – uh, I'd like to jump forward in my items if you could remind people how to get to the Yeah, let me let, let me do that setup, okay? Everybody, what you want to do is go to the other side of Midnight. That's our URL. Click on tonight's banner, which has the White House there in brilliant blazing pink with Barbara's name emblazoned at the bottom. Click on that banner for October 11th. That will take you to her guest page. Click on Barbara's items, the fast links that Kinthea is now providing to Barbara's items. 
that will take you down to her section. Where do we want to go? You want to scroll all the way down first to number 12A. Ah. And there's an orange uh, got it, got it. bar there. Petition to Congress to reopen the anthrax attacks investigation from the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. Yeah. Take right. it away. Now, um, I, I want to focus on 12A, 12B, 13, and 14 here. Because uh, I want to remind, I'm sure that there are some listening tonight in your audience who did hear uh, our program. Unfortunately, you weren't able to be on. And so Cynthia and, and her Friday night team uh, were, the, were the hosts that night. And we're that adding the- uh, new people at a very nice rate. So presume that nobody in the audience knows anything. So start where we can all we're, begin right, to understand. Right, right. So, so I'm just, I just wanted to, uh, to set this up by by saying that anybody who wants to hear that whole program, that was the September 11th and September 12th program. So it was the other side of the news on September 11th, and it was the uh, other side of midnight program on the same topic we're about to discuss here uh, on the 12th, uh, on the other side of midnight. So um, for those who already heard that, they have some background, but for those who don't, um, what that program was about and what item 12 items 12a and 12b are about is uh, I am uh, on the board uh, and also on the research and drafting committee for our petitions that the lawyers committee for 9-11 inquiry has done Um, as you know Richard we have one that that has been in the works uh, in uh, uh, Manhattan uh, in the the, um, the Southern District uh, Federal Court there with the U.S. Attorney uh, demanding a reinvestigation, opening of a special criminal grand jury on what really happened to bring down the World Trade Centers 1, 2, and 7. But um, uh, in about two days, the Lawyers Committee, of which I'm on the board and a researcher and committee drafter, uh, we are about to finally file uh, with Every member of Congress, all 535 of them, will receive this through the mail, uh, the petition to Congress to reopen the anthrax attacks investigation. And for those who may not have been born yet who are listening (laughs) or uh, have forgotten about it, uh, there were anthrax letter attacks that happened uh, in the wake, in the immediate wake of the 9-11 attacks back in September and October and into early November of 2001. It was like just a, a few days afterwards. Well, the first letter that we know of that the FBI acknowledges that they that they retrieved wasn't uh, postmarked until September 18th, exactly a week later. Um, and then there was another group of letters. Wait, that wait, wait. Was you mean postmarked you October mean, 9th? You mean seven days? Seven days, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice coincidence. By okay. the way, and I'm, this is a total break, but I, I got to say it when I remember it. Do you remember that many years ago there was a network television show, a sci-fi thriller, that basically was a, a – um, it was supposed to be a CAT scan of the CIA and a secret project to develop time travel to go back in time and correct world events that should never have happened? And I had a whole team <laughs> – and you want to make one big guess what the title of this really was amazingly uh, interesting show. Very, very good. Excellent writing. I forget. Seven days. Really? Yes. Very so does the CIA know everything we've talked about in the last two nights? Uh, perhaps. Yeah. I uh, wouldn't put it past them. They for, call no, it I, seven I, days. Because if you went back further than seven days, you couldn't change the timeline. Right. That was the. That no, that, was, that's also very interesting because of a recent, uh, you might call it uh, parapsychological experimentation uh, on um, on uh, parallel timelines and yes, the possibility yes. that we can move from one to the other in what we experience as, as everyday reality. So the um, FBI anyway, has that, charted that that, that, that first anthrax letter that, was exactly seven days after September 11th. Wow. Well, that's when the first the, the first batch of letters. There were two batch of letters. The first ones were postmarked September seventeenth. Excuse me, September eighteenth, um, two thousand one, and those were those had less lethal anthrax in them. And then the really lethal ones that were super bio weapons 
uh, and the anthrax in those letters were one trillion spores per gram, if you can believe it. One trillion spores per gram. And those were the letters that were postmarked, I believe it was October 9th of 2001. And they are the ones that went to um, Senators Leahy and Daschle uh, right after Leahy and Daschle got personal personal calls from both President Bush and Vice President Cheney warning them to stop blocking the passage of the Patriot Act. Oh. All right. So anyway, um, now this is very important what I have to tell your audience. And before the break, we've got exactly eight and a half minutes. So I can do it in that period of time. Or we can can pick it up after the break. We are not constrained. That's why I love long-form radio. Nobody's watching the clock. That's true. All right. So back to my number 12A. So what this is, if you click on the link there, you will actually go to something that will blow your mind. And that is, it's a 76-page petition to Congress that will be mailed in two days to all 535 members of Congress um, asking for the reopening of the anthrax letter attacks investigation. And they, of course, the anthrax attacks were were the so-called second wave of the 9-11 attacks themselves. It's basically the one-two punch of 9-11, according to the official story. Okay, this is 12A in your section, right? It's 12A and 12B, and I'll explain how they're related. So um, if you click on the link on 12A, you will you will read the actual petition that every member of Congress will be receiving this coming this coming week. Petition, we prove we don't just uh, maybe get close to proving we prove that Bruce Bruce Ivins, who is the patsy and the fall guy, literally the Lee Harvey Oswald of the anthrax letter attacks. He not only didn't do it, he could not have done it. He was set up by the FBI, and the FBI intentionally and shockingly covered up what they knew were the two U.S. military intelligence labs that were far more likely to have done it, uh, and that is Dugway Proving Ground of the Army and Battelle Memorial Institute in Jefferson, Ohio. Okay, mm. so this is a very, very important petition. Uh, 12B, and you just have to read it. Uh, to see how incredibly documented and proven this is. Um, 12B is, if you click on that link, um, you will go to all of the exhibits. I believe there's something like, I don't know, 80 exhibits or whatever, however many exhibits there Mm. are, a tremendous amount of documentation. Oh, my God, look Uh, at that. Yes. Exhibit 40, exhibit 41, 42, 47. Wow. Yes. Yeah, very many. All right, so so this is a this is a phenomenally By the way, was, 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 and exhibits. Was, was Richard Lambert a researcher at uh, Fort Detrick? No, Richard. No, Richard Lambert is working with us. We've interviewed him for three and a half hours. Oh, okay. He is working with us. He has read our petition and said it is right on. Everything is absolutely right in it. Richard Lambert was the head. The chief of the FBI's entire anthrax attacks investigation ah, okay, for okay. years. Yeah. Memory and he fades. Has, <laughs> he has sued the FBI. And in his suit, which you can read, um, his uh, lawsuit is on the Internet against the FBI. He revealed in the text um, of his lawsuit the incredible cover up and obstruction by his superiors by the leadership of the FBI under Robert Mueller to prevent him from succeeding in getting to the real anthrax killers. Hmm. All right. Now that's just the context for what really matters. All right. So number 13 and 14 are what really matters since the program that myself and my college and colleagues in the lawyers committee for nine 11 inquiry did on your shows on September 11th and September 12th of this year, just about a month ago, exactly a month ago, actually, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's interesting. Uh, four, four, seven day periods ago. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. We're trapped okay. in a matrix, a seven day matrix. Okay. So subsequent to that, in fact, as you'll see the dates on September 25th and October 2nd, an absolutely phenomenal independent uh, investigative journalist named Whitney Webb. That's a that's a, a young woman, Whitney Webb. She has she has done an incredible series on the coronavirus 
and its links all the way back to the anthrax attacks. But these two articles that came out recently are mind-blowing. What she has uncovered is that at the at, at a minimum, we know, uh, at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC, they are doing uh, government-funded research. As I'm speaking to you, and it started just not long ago during the coronavirus crisis, they are right now, as I'm speaking to you and your audience, they are doing bioengineering of anthrax to express coronavirus, this novel coronavirus components. Hmm. I don't now, think I understand. What does that, yeah. What does that mean? Exactly. That means that what they are doing is under the blessing of the Trump administration, government, military, and intelligence community, that our bioengineers our, are marrying or merging the high lethality of anthrax with the high contagion oh of my God. coronavirus. As part of an official taxpayer-funded bioweapons program. Correct. I and thought we signed an international agreement. Bioweapon. I thought we signed a bunch of agreements decades ago to get rid of all this stuff. Uh, yes, that's correct. And all of this, all of this experimentation, in my opinion, and in the opinion and analysis of uh, the uh, honest uh, microbiologists and attorneys and and uh, experts around the world, uh, led by. Um, uh, attorney and bioweapons uh, expert um, Francis Boyle. Um, we all believe that this research is like is like an ongoing Manhattan Project uh, of that level of significance and secrecy and lethality, um, and that is an absolute violation and has been for decades now. Of the biowarfare convention. Well, this is the which, ultimate reflection of the so-called deep state, except you're saying it's the Trump administration that's doing this. The Trump administration is the deep state now. <laughs> Come on. Interesting. <laughs> that's what people need to understand. I don't like the word deep state because people need to understand that that's what the state is. The state, the United States government with all of its aspects, especially the military and intelligence side. We're talking about the black ops side. It is a secret organization. It is a secret cult. It is a cult of secrecy. Okay, but hold it there. Classification we are secrecy. at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is former presidential special assistant Barbara Honiger, who has had several really pithy ideas, and we're only, you know, an hour into the show. Um, we have so much more to cover. This is really revelatory. And let me leave you a tease before we come back. Uh, Barbara is on, on hold, so she can hear me, but she can't speak. <clears throat> Recently, the last couple, three months, there was a bizarre murder, suicide of COVID-19 researchers, one in particular, out of the University of Pittsburgh. Think about that. Just think about what this implies. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And 
you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Thank you.